All right. So while Michael is getting that set up, let us pass out pens. Um, Randall, we need hard surfaces tonight. Hard surfaces. We will be doing lots of writing. You do not get to be passive listeners tonight. You get to do stuff. You get to be active listeners doing lots of writing. Yeah, that'd be great. Hard surface. Hard Okay. I have a hard surface. I'm okay. I've got a stand. I'm more than used to writing on stands, so. We need more light. Let there be light. No, I'm okay. I'm good. So as soon as Michael gives me the go-ahead, we can get started. All right. I have more. I have more. You don't need one? Yes, you, okay. I'm like, you do need, need a paper tonight. You will not be able to do our activities without it. All right, so as soon as everybody is ready, I will wait. Yes, <laughs> all day long, that's my life. Okay, so tonight we are, we've been talking a lot about this biblical interpretation thing. And um, I know for many of us, this is somewhat new information. So we, we haven't really had the chance to actually apply this in the past. Tonight our goal is to start applying the information we've been learning about biblical interpretation and how that can impact our understanding of scripture. We are going to look at Psalm 23. How many of you have read Psalm 23 before? The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Yes. Everybody in the room. Good. For many of us, how many of you, this is your favorite psalm? Anybody in here? This is like your favorite, one of your favorite passages? No? It's... Huh? Only when somebody dies. Well, this is... Oh, for a lot of people, this is their favorite passage in all of Scripture. I've got several friends that I could list off. I'm not going to. But I could list off four or five people that I know that this is their favorite passage in Scripture. Um, it's a beautiful psalm, and today we will study the psalm for its cultural background. That's the first blank on your page. We kind of skip the passage. We'll go back to it. Cultural. Background. B-A-C-K-G-R-O-U-N-D. Background. Okay. So, the passage, 
goes like this. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He restores my soul. He leads me in the path of righteousness for his name's sake. Yea, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I shall fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You have prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup runs over. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Beautiful psalm. Even just reading it straight out, not knowing anything in the past. Look at the first verse. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Lots of comfort just in that first verse alone. But tonight, we're going to get a deeper understanding of this passage. Okay? So, we are going to read together, I've printed off several commentary passages for each verse of um, the psalm. Okay? We're going to read it together first. Then, for each passage, you will have three or four minutes to write out your thoughts on the paper and then we will share out for another four to six minutes as a group. Everybody understand what we're going to do? Okay. Are we to read the cultural background? Yes, we will read the cultural. We're, I'm going to read that out first and so you can read with me um, just to make it easier so we all understand what we're reading. Sometimes we have an easier time reading listening. It's actually... Random teacher fact, when you're reading books out loud, you could read two or three grade levels above what the students are reading, uh, where their reading level is at. So my second graders, when I read books out loud, I can read fifth or sixth grade level books to them because they can understand more through just hearing it than they can actually reading the text. So that being said, that's why we're reading it out loud so that it, um, in case there's any confusion, uh, we get it across. Anyway, uh, cultural background on Shepherd. Let's read that passage. The Mishnah, Judaism's written record on the oral law, also reflects this prejudice. Remember, this is a quote from a larger thing. So, uh, referring to the shepherds in belittling terms. One passage describes them as incompetent. Another says that no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who has fallen into a pit. Jeremiah's documents the fact that the shepherds were deprived of all civil rights. They could not fulfill judicial offices or be admitted in court as witnesses. He wrote, to buy wool or milk or a baby sheep from a shepherd was forbidden on the assumption that it would be stolen property. Smug religious leaders maintained a strict caste system excuse me, at the expense of shepherds and other common folk. Shepherds were officially labeled sinners, a technical term for a class of despised people. And in the first verse, God says, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. What does this tell you about God? Why does David say then, I shall not want? That is your first question. So your goal right now in the next three minutes is to write out a response to that. It can be in a complete sentence. It could be in a not complete sentence. 
does not matter. We are not in school, so I'm not going to be grading you. Um, just write down whatever thoughts you have. I provided lines. You can use whatever space you can find. Your time starts. I think they didn't. Why don't you, you can, why don't you read, read that to yourself and try to understand what they mean by what shepherds are. About a minute and a half left. Grant, we will be sharing out ideas, too, so you can write down the things that you hear when we share out, okay? That's all right, too. We're going to verbalize the answers. Yeah. Nobody's going to fail this test. No. About 45 seconds left. <laughs> 30 seconds. We need more time. I can give it to you. Then we have five more seconds. <laughs> okay. Some people are writing a book. Mm -hmm. That's a good thing. We want them to write books. <laughs> All right, uh, 10 seconds. Want to get A plus on this? Um, pretty much. You should have seen that one again. All right. That's time.
Finish your last sentence and then look up when you're ready. My students will give a thumbs up for a coyote. Yes. They're second graders, so they need the reminder. Yes, at my school there are so many hand signals. This is yes, this is no, this is coyote, bathroom. <laughs> that would get you sent to the office. Really? Yes. Yep. Oh yeah, my school is very strict on discipline. You would not be allowed to do that kind of thing. I'd be the principal's pet But what is a coyote? Silent coyote. Anyway, coming back. Um, so what thoughts do we have? What does this tell you about God? What did that, um, the idea of the shepherd being the lowest person and God calling himself that, I don't know. No, I thought that was an interesting paradox for me. Just the fact that we have the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords and he's labeling himself a shepherd, which in this culture is like the lowest of the low. Right? So what did that tell you guys about God? Yeah. Oh, no, I don't need my answer. No? I'm totally okay. All right. I kind of hold my hands in my But I kind of think that it's like, if you think about it, it's like God is something like he's, like you said, a Lord of Lords, but he's also something that he's willing to humble himself all the way down mm -hmm. to something as low as a shepherd. And if you think back to like Jesus... He didn't live in a royal palace, you know, he was a carpenter's son, you mm -hmm. know, but just the way he was able to relate to other people like the fishermen and the um, adulteress and all these people, right, like common people, right, he was able to relate to them because he was already at that kind of standard. Mm -hmm. so. Yeah. I can't, I mean, I overthought it. <laughs> <laughs> That's okay. We want to overthink. Don't confess. No, I There's no I, such thing. I was thing. staring at it up until the 45 seconds left. <laughs> and then you started writing. I was like, I have to write something. But I was, one thing that came to mind is this, you know, the oral law. Mm-hmm. That we talked about and how the shepherds were outcasts. Mm-hmm. And I was thinking, well... I'm not sure where I was going with it, but it, essentially, like, God, his law is the law, and that's, you don't have to worry about the burdens of what mm. others say, mm -hmm. such as the, uh, the smug religious leaders. Yes. You just worry about what, what uh, God has. Now, I don't know, that's kind of a dangerous thing to say, because there's good religious <laughs> but, but it's essentially God is the authority. Yeah, absolutely. And the hardest question was, what does David say? I shall not want. And it's to kind of kept that context that it's not the earthly things that David wants because God is above all those mm. earthly things. He's way better. Okay. I tried. Good. Good job. Good job.
don't know, I kind of, I don't know, this is a little off, but I thought of it as like, it says, David says, I shall not want because he doesn't want his Lord to be thought of as incompetent. Oh, interesting. We shall not want because the Lord doesn't want the Lord to be incompetent. Or thought of as incompetent, not incompetent, but just like putting himself down as low as a shepherd. And it says, you know, uh, one passage describes him as incompetent, and another says, no one should ever feel obligated to rescue a shepherd who's fallen into a pit. Just like how low they are, you know? Yeah. And just like if you're a good king, your people don't want you to be. Seen as incompetent, yeah. Interesting, I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. So when he says, I shall not want, what I wrote was, uh, it's kind of the same thing as I am content, or I lack nothing. Yeah. Just like, I'm taken care of. I'm good. Shepherd's protecting me. Yeah. Because if God, who is the king of kings, is our shepherd, he's the one taking care of us all the time, then we really shouldn't want but I like what Nico had to say, too, of the idea of David also realizing, oh, wait, I just put the king of kings on the same plane as the lowest of the low in our culture. Though, also, David, a bit more cultural background that I didn't get into here, David was a shepherd at the start yeah. of his life. So... He was very intimate with the idea of what a shepherd had to do because that's what he did for like his all of his growing up years. He was a shepherd for the family. So he would have been intim intimately knowledgeable with all of these things that we are learning tonight. A far deeper level than we were learning them. And he was a guitar player. <laughs> <laughs> well. Their version of the guitar. <laughs> um... All right, so are we ready to go to the next verse? Okay, so we now know that shepherds are like the lowest of the low. And David is comparing him to the shepherd and saying, I will not want. In the next few verses, we'll see David start to explain why he will not want what God has his shepherd. He makes me, verse 2, he makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. In ordinary circumstances, the shepherd does not feed his flock except by leading them and guiding them where they may gather them for themselves. <coughs> but there are times when it is otherwise. Late in autumn, when the pastures are dried up, and in winter, when the place is covered with snow, he must fur furnish them food or they die. In the vast oak woods among the eastern sides of Lebanon, between the Baalbek and the Cedars, there are there gathered innumerable flocks, and the shepherds are all day long in the bushy trees, cutting down the branches upon whom the green leaves and the tender twigs, the sheep and goats, are entirely supported. The same is true in all mountain districts, and large forests are preserved on purpose. And then turning the page. Still waters, which are opposed to great rivers, with both of, which both affright the sheep with their noise and expose them to danger of being carried away by their swift and violent streams whilst they are drinking them. Okay, sometimes commentaries will just 
take a part of the verse and then continue a sentence after that, like that passage there. What does this tell us about how God leads us if we are his sheep and he is our shepherd? How does he provide for us? Two minutes. About a minute left. Thirty seconds. Ten seconds. We need more time, I can give it. Finish off your last thought. Look up here when you're ready to go. <laughs> yeah, 25, 7, and 8 year olds, you have to give them something to do with their hands, otherwise, they start talking. Invariably. <coughs> 
All right. So, thoughts. What does this tell us about how God leads us if we are his sheep? And he's our shepherd. How does he provide for us? Colin, thoughts? Your answer. Okay. What's the first part? My answer? No, his. His. He hasn't finished his thought. Okay. He started the thought. Have you started a thought? Okay. We'll come back to you then. Someone who has not shared yet. Thoughts. Well, in the first verse, we've been established that God is not elitist, mm-hmm. and He is not above taking care of anybody, right? No matter where they're at, right? And having raised a sheep, I know that they are very, very dirty animals, yes, and also very, very dumb. Yes. Very similar. Everywhere. Mm-hmm. But makes that a challenge because they don't they don't understand what you're doing right uh, so they don't get it I think it just shows that God has great care for us and mm-hmm. great concern like even though there's not something dangerous or scary or sheep at all shy and freaked out and, oh, it's just a wind and wire mm-hmm. and it's fine it's safe come to me mm-hmm. <laughs> they're obnoxious little beasts but um Leading them beside still waters, uh, there is no cause for alarm there. Yeah. It's great. He's looking out not just for what could be dangerous, dangerous ideas, dangerous situations, but if we yep. seek the Lord, then um, there's not even like a threat of danger, a hint of it. Cause right. He's not going right. to tell you something that's going to get you into trouble. It's not going to lead you down a path that's going to get you in trouble. Right. Anyone else that has not shared a lot to go before we open? Yeah? I kind of just going to add on what she said. I feel like if we go astray, he's kind of like there to like lead us back to, uh, you know, safer, safer place. Place. Yeah. We'll get into that more later in the psalm that's coming in uh, verse 4. Randall? So I, I put, um, means what I've interpreted as leading us to make our own way for food. Yes. As, as opposed to mm-hmm. providing mm-hmm. us food. So catch in the first commentary... The first sentence is that the shepherd, in ordinary circumstances, the shepherd does not feed his flock. So when we pray, God, please provide a job, but sit and do not apply to jobs. That's not going to work because the shepherd does not feed his flock in ordinary circumstances. He leads them to the path that he's supposed to go. 
So the shepherd leading us that way, he would lead us you know, by applying to different jobs. We get led to the right one by going to interviews and actually meeting the people and then send them saying, yes, we want you. And doing the work. And then doing the work. Right. We have to go out and do the work of actually providing for ourselves in that sense. So. It's not the prosperity. No. And that's not what David is saying either because once we we start reading if we just read verse two he makes me lie down in green pastures we would go oh well then god's gonna give me everything that i want maybe but if you actually understand the work of the shepherds as the, the jewish people understood it you would know that he just takes you to the green pastures he doesn't actually force you to lie down right you have to do the work of going out and eating the grass that he eats he gives you that way. Any other thoughts on this passage? Nico, I know, know you've been like raring to go. <laughs> um, well, I know, it's kind of like just what everyone said. I mean, I feel like we're helpless without him. Uh, he would guide us, but not force us. He would go out of his way to cut branches and green leaves to provide mm-hmm. for us. But you can lead a horse to water, but you can't make it drink. Right. Personally, my favorite part of that commentary was the picture of the shepherd cutting the branches and God's care for us that's shown in that, that he would compare himself to that in scripture. All right, verse three. He restores my soul. He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Okay, couple of definitions here so that we're all on the same page. Righteousness means right living or following God's laws. And restores means renews even from the point of death. Okay. Paths. This is another one that selects specific words and then goes off of that. Paths. In the wilderness and in the desert, there are no raised paths. The paths being merely tracks. And sometimes there are six or eight paths running unevenly alongside each other. No doubt this is what is figuratively referred to in Psalm 23 verse 3. He leadeth me in the paths of righteousness. All leading to one point. But there's like six or eight paths to choose from. And each one going in different directions. Straying sheep restored. It is very important that the sheep should not be allowed to stray away from the flock because when by themselves they are utterly helpless. In such a condition they become bewildered for they have no sense at all of locality. And if they do stray, they must be brought back. Right? Okay. Another background of straying sheep. Sometimes they will flip over on their back and they will literally be on their back kicking their legs in the air. Right, fleece? You never let that happen to your sheep. But they do flip over onto their backs, especially when they're all full of wool and they haven't been sheared recently. They cannot get back on track, okay? So they stray, they go astray, and then they flip over on their backs and they go, eh, eh, for the shepherd, bleeding out for the shepherd, trying to get back up, but they can't. That's the picture here. He restores my soul. 
He leads me in the paths of righteousness for his name's sake. What does this tell you about the paths you go down in life and how God leads you in righteousness? That's the question. Or any other thoughts that you had about the passage as well that came to mind when you read. Two minutes left. Welcome to Remedy. <laughs> We're about, a, about a minute left. We can give more time too. That's okay. Doing fine on time. Whoops. Coming. Forty-five seconds. Thirty seconds. Fifteen seconds. Doing fine. Don't worry about it. Start writing down your final thoughts. Okay. So... Verse 3, thoughts. What does this tell you about the paths you go down in life and how God will lead you? Jacob. So I thought the part about the sheep needing to stay in the herd was interesting. Uh-huh. 
a one-to-one kind of ratio to us, you know, because we need to be a part of the church. We need to be with other Christians. We need that uh, community, um, or else uh, you can see what happens when you isolate yourself too much. Yes. In your head too much, you don't know what the right way is. Yeah. Your whole thinking becomes warped, so you become lost. Yeah. (coughs) So he leads us uh, in community. (laughs) Yeah. I actually said something very similar, pretty much Jacob said it better. <laughs> um, but one thing that stood out to me was how the paths, there really isn't like a path like we think of paths, it's just footprints that are all kind of relatively around each other. So I see that like, you know, we, we don't have a clear path ahead of us, we kind of have to forge on ahead and follow what we see is the path Mm -hmm. and it'll be difficult because it's uh, it's obviously not clear but then you know God when we're on our own by ourselves which is the next thing like he's if we're willing God's gonna put us in that right direction yeah yeah definitely like God the paths are difficult to see sometimes right I mean the the description of the paths being six to eight different paths in the wilderness right they all look alike they all look like they're leading to the same place but they don't they run alongside of each other and then veer off in different directions we come across paths like that in life a lot too, right? But God leads us in the paths of righteousness and he restores our soul and brings it back to life for his name's sake. Basically, that part means God is not going to let us go because his name as a good shepherd relies on us being led down the paths of righteousness. He will not be a good shepherd. He will not be a good king if he lets us go astray. Right? So we can always trust God to lead us down those windy, crazy paths. I mean, yeah. Well, also, kind of like, um, I think even if we do stray down those paths, right? Like the ones that are uncharted, the ones that he doesn't want us to go to. If we're, like I said, I'm like this, but um, if we're committed to like stopping what we're doing and to follow him, it's kind of like, you know, with like a GPS. Mm-hmm. It's kind of like they'll show you an alternate route, you know. Yeah. It's going to take longer and it will be a little bit more difficult, right? To right. To get to the right path, to get to your destination, but it's still very much possible. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I do. Nancy, I was waiting for a good time to hand her a note packet. We're on the second, on the back of the first page. We're talking about verse 3. Before and taking one path and wondered, oh, what was I missing on that other path? And then I got to the point, I was like, oh, 
They're both catchy here. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> it's cool to know that maybe your choice is a little different from the right. people around you, but that doesn't mean they're necessarily wrong. Right. It's just different. Right. And that way, if you do something and you do mess up, it's like, oh, one wrong step, automatic failure. I'm on the wrong track. I'm doing wrong. God leads you down the paths. So even when you do make mistakes, he'll lead you to the back to where he wants you to be. Like a GPS, that's a good analogy. Any other thoughts? Randall? Well, throughout all of this, so far, I've been, I've been awake till the end to bring it up, and I'll bring it up now. Um, I think about refugees in parts of the world who are war-torn countries mm -hmm. being found out. Yeah. I think about the people in Mosul, 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 Mosul uh, in uh, Syria and Iraq and those places. And now most of them are Muslims. But that aside, there's, there's many Christians. In fact, the earliest Christian churches are in Syria. And they've been bombed out. Their buildings and their homes have been destroyed. Their loved ones have been killed. They've been captured. And some of their, a lot of the men have been beheaded. Mm. They've been forced to give up their, their Christian faith. Or told that they didn't, they didn't lose their head. Mm -hmm. uh, or they had to pay a tax and follow the way of the Muslim religion. Mm, yeah. I wonder how they read verses like this. Yeah. Like these. It would be hard to read verses like these, huh? Yes. Hard to trust that it's true. And there are but, times, even, even like less extreme times for us, but we go through those times where it's really difficult to read those passages and trust that they're true. Doesn't seem like still waters sometimes, right? No. <laughs> That's when we're kind of feel more like the sheep that have turned over on our backs and we're kicking our feet up in the air, calling out for the shepherd, yeah. right? That's where the next verse comes in. That's where the next verse comes uh -oh. in. Uh-oh, did I speak too soon? Yes, you did. Okay, are we ready for verse 4? Bring it on, verse 4. Verse 4. Yay. Okay. Yay, oh. though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. Okay, rod and staff. We're going to get into that in the commentary passages because I'm sure right now those are the two words that you're like, wait, what? Right? Fishing rod. Fishing rod? <laughs> Is it staff like a walking stick? No, different. Okay, uh, first passage, though, is about the valley of the shadow of death. All right. A valley of the shadow of death. A valley is a low place with mountains on either side. Enemies may be posted on these mountains to shoot their arrows at the traveler, as ever was the case in the east, but he must pass through it. The psalmist, however, said he will fear no evil, not even the, fury, the, the fiery darts of Satan, for the Lord was with him. The figure is not primarily, as it sometimes is supposed, our dying moments, though it will beautifully bear that explanation, 
but it is the valley beset with enemies posted on the hills the bedouin at the present day often post themselves on the hills to harass the travelers as they pass along the valleys that would have been the cultural understanding of the valleys not our death but these paths that literally people are shooting arrows at you as you travel along these paths okay the next passage is about the shepherd's rod and staff. The shepherd's rod, it is like a policeman's club. It's often made of wood, oak wood and has a knob on the end of it. Into its knob, nails are sometimes driven so as to make a better weapon. It is very useful for protection and no shepherd would be without it. It was no doubt the, the rod that David used in protecting his sheep from wild animals. That's another passage that um, when you go home, you can look up all these passages that the commentaries give you that kind of tie into this. He mentions both the rod and the staff in his shepherd's psalm. This prophet Ezekiel refers to the custom of the shepherd passing under the, she the shepherd's rod for the purpose of counting or inspecting. The sheep pass under the rod for the purpose of counting or inspecting, inspecting them. I will cause you to pass under the rod from Ezekiel 20, verse 37. The law of Moses speaks of tithing the flock for a specific purpose at such a time, and concerning the tithe of herd or the flock, even of whatsoever pass under the rod, the tenth shall be sent into the Holy Land. So as they're counting with that rod, they're counting the sheep, the tenth one gets uh, given to the Holy Land, the church, okay? Um, to do this, the Jewish writers tell us that the shepherd allowed the animals to come by him as they would under the rod at a narrow entrance. The head of the rod was dipped into some coloring fluid and was allowed to come down upon every tenth and one as they passed by, thus marking him as the one to be given to the Lord for sacrificial purposes. The scepter, which the ancient kings of the East usually had with them, had its origin in the shepherd's rod. Kings were considered to be shepherds of their people. Thus, the scepter or rod of the king becomes a symbol of protection, power, and authority. Okay. And the shepherd's staff, I'll give some background information just verbally about that. The shepherd's staff had a big hook at the end. It looked like a candy cane. Okay, had a big hook at the end. And if the, if the shepherd saw the sheep going into a place that it shouldn't go, he would take that hook and pull it back. Yep, just like in cartoons. It would take the hook and pull it back from where it's suppo supposed to be. So if there was spots, like if it was on a cliff side and the sheep was down a cliff, he would pull the cliff, it back off the cliff side and up onto the path again. Different things like that. So that there's the rod of protection to protect us from enemies and the shepherd's staff like this. Okay. If you're doing a bad acting job on the stage, they use the same yes. sort of thing. That's right. In cartoons, like in yeah, like in cartoons, they did that. Okay, so why is the shepherd's rod and staff a comfort? That is the question. Why would those two things be a comfort? Because the first says, "Your rod and your staff, they comfort me." Go. <laughs> Okay. 
too much sheep's wool in here. <laughs> I get sneezing fits on occasion, so this is probably one of those sneezing fits right now. <sighs> I can come get it. Sometimes it's like 13 times in a row that I sing. It's obnoxious. No, did not know that. Okay, about two minutes left. Are we writing? Yes, you write to respond. You write first, and then we call out answers. Oh, got it. Okay. It Gives you time to prepare. It's all right. About a minute and a half left. I write in cursive so I can write it faster. <laughs> I can't read cursive. <laughs> About a minute left. We can give more time for people to come back for the bathroom, too. There's no right or wrong answers to these. Oh, I don't know. Well, I won't say that. There's, there's wrong answers, but it's difficult to get come up with them if you're really genuinely trying. So. Thirty seconds. It was actually I was in class uh, last semester, and this person didn't know what to write on a test, and so it was one of those fill in the blanks, and she had said Jesus is the answer, and <laughs> she's like, I'm not getting this wrong. The next day she got it wrong. So <laughs> I mean, I don't you know so far. Yeah. Is this a Christian school? No, it's a public school. That would be why. But the teacher was Christian, so you would. <laughs> <laughs> if it, hey, if it showed up on my desk and the student tried that, I would write "nice try" next to it and would still mark it wrong. Wrong. <laughs> there should be like everyone should get that one answer. They, like they'd be able to use it at least one time. Yeah. No. Extra no. Points or something? No. Always know everything. No. Yeah, I know, right? Eight records. Yeah. If I, if there was a quiz in Sunday school. But if the it. Asked like who betrayed Jesus. And they said Jesus is the answer, and like no. Right. If the question is like, but why are these two things Jesus alike and different? Answer. And the answer is Jesus. I'm sorry, but Jesus in that case is the wrong answer to the question. <laughs> and that's usually what the questions are about in second grade. So, what what is alike or different? How what inference can you make about these characters? They don't know what 
inference um, means you take what you already know and what you're reading and come up with a guess about the information. Yes, it's all the common core stuff. What is the definition of hard water? Jesus. Oh boy. It would not okay. work. The bread? Anyone have He's it? living water. He's living water. Okay, okay. Anyway, coming back. Three, two, one. We're back. Well, that was a second grade teacher. I saw that. Yes. <laughs> Three, two, one. Coyotes go up. <laughs> Every day. <laughs> All right. So, thoughts. Why is the shepherd's rod and staff a comfort? Grant, do you have an idea? Nope. No? Well, what did you, what did what you, did write, you write down? down? His, I okay. I can read it. Read it. Um, the shepherd's rod and staff provide comfort because it provides protection. It gives the shepherd something to guide the sheep out of harm's way. Mm-hmm. Oh, an original idea. Cool. <laughs> That's okay. You're being honest. I appreciate that. Other thoughts? She's not giving an answer this not, whole time. She's waiting. I'm waiting. I other thoughts? The other good answers. Verse 4. Thoughts? <coughs> He's calling. <coughs> We're coughing your name. Yeah. He went downstairs. He oh, went downstairs. Okay. You just got Colin! Colin, 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 Colin. Colin, Colin. Roger, Roger, Colin, Colin. So. I said, keep us out of trouble and correct us when we are heading into trouble. Okay. That's what he does with me is he takes the knotty end of the cane and hits me on he, the head with Shepherds it. will actually do that. You just reminded me about more information that I read as I was studying for this. Shepherds will actually do that. If the sheep is really like not following the shepherd at all and is still trying to go their own way, the shepherd will take the rod and bop the sheep on the head and then pull it back. I've had that happen to me a couple of times in my faith walk. <laughs> Saying half time, you mean like, who hit you? Huh? It's like when you, you were half, half that sentence, I was like, who hit you? <laughs> and I'm like, oh, faith walk. Faith walk. Totally different. No, no. Not actual people. Faith walk. Yeah. I did not. That's good. Yep. How about you, Nancy? My thoughts? said one uh, is a weapon to protect, mm -hmm. and one is a tool to save. So both comfort us. Yeah. And Jesus is both. Yeah. Sometimes we wish we had somebody with a hook to pull us away. To pull us away. But he always does. So. Not always. Not always. He, he lets us go down the paths and then... continues to pull us out. I saw a lady crash on some steps today. There was four steps leading down. They were high steps. I mean, the, the top step was this high, so she had to go down here. And I was talking to another person. We saw her go down. She goes, oh, and then she disappeared. There was a car there. Oh, she, that's not good. She disappeared. 
husband's standing there going, Are you alright? <laughs> so I'm you go fine. across the street and look. This poor old lady straggled on there. She had a huge bump and gash on her head. The knot was forming. And then a gash under her her eye. She a pot a pot container of concrete that was that thick going around and it was jagged. It it broken so she was I think she hit the jagged edge. Ouch. And I'm like, oh my gosh. Oh I'm okay. I think my knees are okay. She hit her knee and then fell over like that. Oh, and I don't know why I thought of that, except it's an interesting story, and she probably wishes a shepherd came and mm. yanked her back her before she took that step. Anyway, yeah. He didn't. I think God let her fall. She's a <laughs> I think, like, what he said, but, like, you know, it's physically, but also, like, spiritually. Like, you about Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, we can be so persistent sometimes in our walk. You know, yes. Where it can be a good thing. You know, but it also be a bad thing. Like, you know, it's like, oh, you want to do this sinful thing, right? And you want to keep on doing it and yep. doing it and doing it. And sooner or later, God's going to get tired of keep pulling you back. You know, it's kind of, you ever see like uh, those children, you know, and they're like walking around and then like, you know, they're going to get in trouble, right? And you know, they're going to do something and then you keep on taking them back. But then sooner or later, if it doesn't kill them, might as well just let them try, you know? And yeah. so. And let them stumble and fall. And let them stumble and fall. And then I promise you they won't do it again. Maybe. Nope. Maybe. Not always the case. Maybe. <laughs> maybe. My or kids, maybe there's, some, there's certain times of the day where I know to watch for certain kids because they always invariably end up having problems during those times of day when we're coming back from lunch recess. Yeah. Always. There's two or three kids that will continually be in conflict with each other at that point in the day. But yeah. Yeah, I saw this as a spiritual. Yeah. Mhm. Mm More of a spiritual comfort. Mm -hmm. Verse five. Verse five. We ready? Okay. Verse five. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil, and my cup runs over. This is actually my favorite verse in the psalm spent several weeks on it in college when I was studying this in college. Okay. So, the passages. Thou anoint, anointeth my head with oil, my cup runneth over. In the East, people frequently anoint their visitors with some very fragrant perfume. It give them a cup or a glass of some choice wine, which they are careful to fill till it runs over. The first was designed to show their love and respect. The latter to imply that while they remained there, they should have an abundance of everything. To something of this kind, the psalmist probably alludes in this passage. Okay. Thou preparest a table before me in the presence of my enemies. The good man has his enemies. He would not like be his Lord if he had not. If we were without enemies, we might fear that we were not the friends of God, for the friendship of the world is enemy, enmity to God. Yet see the quietude of the godly man in spite of and in the sight of his enemies. How refreshing is his calm bravery. Thou preparest a table before me. When a soldier is in the presence of his enemies, if he eats all he snatches, a hasty meal 
and away he hastens to the fight. But observe, thou preparest a table, just as a servant does when she unfolds the damask cloth and displays the ornaments of the feast on an ordinary peaceful occasion. Nothing is hurried. There is no confusion, no disturbance. The enemy is at the door, and yet God prepares a table, and the Christian sits down and eats as if... Turn the page. Everything were in perfect peace. Oh, the peace which Jehovah gives to his people, even in the midst of the most trying circumstances. The last two paragraphs were from Charles Spurgeon, who is absolutely amazing. Yes, they're amazing. He's the prince of preachers. He was our age when he started preaching at his first church. He was 19. So, anyway, what kind of guests are we in God's house? According to that passage, you have to look back and read. Should we be considered this way? And what does the image of the overflowing cup tell you about God and his blessing towards us? Those are your three questions for this passage. We can take four minutes because there are three questions, not just one. Three minutes left. No, we go to verse six next. Two minutes. Actually, that gets you in trouble in my class if you work ahead. Really? Yep. Got to make sure you're doing it right, so you get in trouble for working ahead. There's some kids that I know that do do it right, but they got to still follow along with us. Those kids, I will give extension projects to them.
minute and a half. Thirty seconds. Yeah, All right. Finish your last thoughts. See, like Felice is enjoying life over there. She's got the whole couch to herself, man. Coming back, thoughts. What kind of guests are we in God's house? According to the commentary passages, what do you think? At the end, Zach, right? What do you think? I'd say we're welcome guests because he prepares a table for us. Right, he prepares a table. Go ahead. Yeah, any more thoughts on that? Yeah. Anyone? Yeah. We're not only welcome, but the passage in the commentary doesn't say that I realized as I asked the question that I forgot to add is that this was usually reserved for the most honored guest. They would only do this for the guest that was the most highly honored guest that came. Okay, and it was expected that they would do this for the most highly honored guest. So there's some passages in the New Testament that um, have some implications when they didn't do this, when you were studying feasts and that kind of thing. But, so... Not, but you're right, we are welcome guests. We're so welcome that God wants to honor us highly by anointing our heads with oil, which means that they're choosing us as special, right? Because the fragrant oil was extremely expensive at that time. We wouldn't like that today. We wouldn't like it today. But I actually kind of would like that. <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know about you guys, but come on, I'm some olive oil. Um, I, I don't want to do it with oil. 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 Yeah, 
I put oil on my head all the time. But. <laughs> um, anyway, um, so yeah, we we are. We're 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 the most choice guests. We and should we be considered this way? That's the second question. Should we be considered this way? It's a different verse, but it's a good one to talk about. Are we, should we be considered this way? If we're in his flock, we are his, right? We hear his voice. He's our shepherd. And so we are his most honored guest, his most prized possession. As a shepherd, you, you care very deeply about your flock. You spend all day, every day, day and night, 24-7 with the flock. You care very deeply for them. And that's how God cares and provides for us in this verse in verse 5. What does the image of the overflowing cup tell you about God and his blessing towards us? What did that bring to mind? Thoughts? Yeah. Very similar. I put um, his blessing towards us and his love is abundant and never runs dry. And I like how it said, kind of like with the example of the choice wine. Yeah. And, you know, I think like everyone's love is important, you know, and it's like it's great to be loved by everyone, right? Mm -hmm. But at the same time, I mean, would you rather have your best friend's love, or would you rather have God's love? I mean, one's a little bit sweeter than the other. Right. So the choicest love, like the choice wine, I like that comparison. A bunch of poets in here. Yeah. Some good thoughts. Okay. Verse 6. I just really like that image. Oh, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, no. I mean, for me, that's an yeah. Of holding out my cup. And he's just, and it's just overflowing. It just never is empty. And I have this right. visual image, which I really like. And then the whole image of God preparing the table mm -hmm. while enemies are knocking at the door in front of everybody. And all of David's enemies, they're knocking at the door. And when David was writing this, he was probably on the run from Saul, who was king of Israel at the time, because God had chosen him as king, right? 
he's writing, you were preparing a table before me in the presence of my enemies in front of all of Israel that's coming and, and trying to hunt me down to kill me. You're preparing a feast as they're knocking on the door. That beautiful picture of God's constant blessing, even in the times of dark trial. Well, it doesn't say somewhere in the Bible that uh, I think Jesus crushes his enemies peacefully under his feet. Mm -hmm. And I think, I kind of think about that passage, and I think, like, when I was reading it, it's like, God doesn't have anything to worry about. Mm -hmm. You know, we think about our enemies, and we, we fear them, and we think of, like, bullies, or we think of, like, awful co-workers, we think of, you know, all those people, and we're afraid of them. But with God, he doesn't have any. I mean, he has enemies, but he's not afraid of his enemies. Because right. he's better than them. He, so. he kind of controls all of them, too, yeah. so. Yeah, and then it kind of goes back to what we talked about a couple of weeks ago. You might remember the passage of um, Genesis 3.15, talking about how this the woman's seed, the woman's child, was supposed to stomp Satan's head, crush him under his feet. So your passage of Jesus, talk, the Bible talking about Jesus crushing his enemies under his feet peacefully, kind of ties back to that too. He's saying, I thought when they make a feast, Danny was literally knocking at the door. Pretty much, they weren't. They weren't actually having a feast. David is comparing it, though. He's comparing the feast to God providing for him. Oh. Does that make sense? So, Grant, I think it's kind of like even though we may be scared to death and and we feel like something terrible is about to happen. Even though we're all upset, he's always really calm. And I like to tell people, and I like to remember when I'm really stressed, I just look up and look at Jesus' face, and he's just all calm. Yep. When I'm stressed, I go to this passage. This is where I go. Yeah. And the last verse... Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Or as my dad likes to say, the first, um, the first example of stalking in the Bible. Surely goodness and mercy follow you in all the days of your life. It's a bad pun. Um, Looks like you're tired. <laughs> <laughs> it's all right. Um. Those are all female <laughs> names. You can name your child surely goodness and mercy as girls. Oh, and they're stalking you. The oh. first example of stalking in the Bible. They're following you all the days of my life. Anyway, coming back. He's still a yes, very much so. And his sense of humor. Um, what things listed above in the previous verses would give Davis, David this assurance that he, though a sinner, would dwell safely in the house of the Lord forever. What would give him that assurance? Three minutes, and then we'll be right on time. Maybe a couple minutes over. That's okay.
Two minutes left. Minute left. seconds. I can give more time if we need it. Alright, start writing your last thought. Be ready to share. Okay, so thoughts. What things listed above would give David this assurance that he, though a sinner, would dwell safely in the house of the Lord forever?
about the fact that I shall not want green pastures, still waters, or restored soul, being led on the path of righteousness, the rod, the staff, the feast table, the overflowing cup. So all signs point to great care and love from an unchanging God. So I think we should expect more of the same in life and death. Come what may. I think you just got some extra credit points. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, like, she nailed it. Like, wow. One <laughs> sentence. <laughs> That's the way you say things, too. Yeah. <laughs> Shucks. See? Right there. Shucks. <laughs> spoken like a well-spoken actress. Go. What what thoughts do you have, Nico? See, it's like someone gives a really like I was in high school, I was in like English class, and someone gives a really amazing presentation, and then the next person below, like right afterwards, like it looked no like judgment. There's no this. judgment okay. here. No, thoughts. So, um, no, I think just well, I thought we were talking about verse six, and so I, I think oh. it's based upon verse six, but I don't know. I can just Go for like. It. Goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. And I think it's like mostly just the mercy part. They said, God provides a type of unfeeling mercy in which mm. no matter what we do, God will always try to protect and help us. Yeah. And I think just we think of God as this like judgmental one, you know, and we think that he's always going to try to um, rule us, you know, but mm -hmm. not in the way that a loving God. He, we think of it as kind of like the Old Testament, you know, yeah. kind of way. It's like, you know, he's going to judge us and he's going to make rules for us and he's not going to really show any compassionate love. But in reality, as we get further into the Bible, we realize that he is a loving, he is a loving God. Even in know? all those things. Yeah, even above all those things. I mean, and he's a fair God. Mm -hmm. You know, he's judgmental, but he's also fair, you know. And when he provides mercy, it's to everyone, not just some. You know, and I think that goes great for all of us because I know from personal experience, I'm not perfect. I'm never going to be perfect, and yeah, so I when think. Did you realize that? I think I realized it um, two seconds after I was born. <laughs> I saw my mother's face, and I was like, "Oh man." Um, but, no, I just, I think, and it says, like, he will always try to protect and love us. And, you know, it's kind of like with a great parent, you know. No matter what we do, they'll always protect us. And even though we say we hate him, you know, we say we're, like, ashamed of him, and we're, we're, like, all this stuff, and we try to forget, like, we even know him, he still loves us. Yeah. And that's a type of love that I wish to achieve for, like, my next, like, for my children. You know, I want to have the unfailing love. Well, I know, I don't think I want to, but I don't know if I would achieve the kind of love God has for us. Yeah. You know? Like, where if the time was to come, I'd be willing to give up one of my children for a stranger. You mm. know, just the type of love that he has is uncomparable to anything we have. Mm -hmm. So. Wow. That was very good. Yeah. Well, you know, mm -hmm. I had a choice. <laughs> Other thoughts?
each of these verses illustrate a wonderful quality mm -hmm. of God. A different quality of God each time. Different, yeah. Mm -hmm. um, the provision. Provision in, in the green pastures and the leading us. And, and um, not only the provision, but the careful provision. So, I mean, here's water. It's rushing water. You could fall in. But no, we find still waters because that's the best. Mm -hmm. that's the, that, that will be best for the rod and staff, the protection, mm -hmm. and not only protection, but the, um, the tool to keep us safe. And of course, first five, just the, the calm assurance mm -hmm. that he's there and will continue to provide for us no matter what. So fun fact you might want to write down. Um, a beautiful, beautiful version of this set to music. It's by John Rutter. It's in his Requiem. There's a movement that is the Lord is my shepherd. I would look it up when you get home. It is well worth spending the eight minutes of your life to listen to it. It's absolutely gorgeous. And whenever I read this, I still hear it in my head because we sang it in college one it's semester. R-U-T-T-E-R. R-U-T-T-E-R. The Rudder Requiem. Oh. Requiem is a song for the dead. Yeah. Beautiful piece of music. Is it sung in this? Yeah. It's, it, it sings this psalm, and it's just gorgeous. I thought about putting it on tonight as we were listening to stuff, as we were writing. Um... It's absolutely gorgeous. It's the most peaceful, serene wow. setting of the psalm that I've ever heard. It's absolutely beautiful. Yeah. Another week, maybe. Okay, so thank you guys. That was awesome. Woo! I, I did not know some of these things. This is just one of the, seven, of the five keys that we listed out a couple weeks ago. Just one. So next week we do genre, the following week we do historical context, the following week after that we do um, literary context. If we wanted then to, we that, could. We'll do, no, just. <laughs>